Hello and welcome to the La 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 Let Me Explain podcast. We have had a break for a couple of months just because I have not been able to get my shit together. In fact, there's been a variety of reasons which I have spoken about on my close friend stories to uh, to my patrons. But we are back now and back with an amazing guest. Sorry, I just got to, you know, let me tell you a story of what happened yesterday. I'm such a dick. Before I <laughs> before I introduce our amazing guest, I um, I smashed up the, you know, the um, insert thing in the fridge door. Mm. The, like, you know, I don't know what you call it. holds them. the drinks yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So I was taking the milk out from a bottom one and then it smashed the one on top, which flew out and then... And then a corner piece of it smashed and it wouldn't go back yeah, in the fridge. Yeah, I've done that too. So, yeah, I, was so <laughs> I was so angry with myself. So I got out this super glue, but the super glue lid had like super glued itself mm. together. So like a dick, I undid it with my teeth and then ended up getting super glue all in the oh corner my of my God. mouth and then pulled it out really fast and then got super glue um, around the edge of my nose. Oh. <laughs> So I'm only saying this because I want you to be aware that if I keep rubbing this corner of my mouth and my nose, I'm not picking my nose. I'm just trying to get the rest of the super glue. I see. <laughs> no, God, I wouldn't even notice. But yeah, this is how I live what my life. Thing. Just some reckless fucking idiot. But anyway, so I'm sitting here with the amazing, incredible, wonderful Natasha Benjamin, who is Lorraine Kelly's Good Morning Britain Woman of the Year. 2019 like the woman of the whole, <laughs> the whole year i'm so impressed by this and it is so well deserved natasha is the founder of free your mind which is a charity um which supports children who have experienced uh, domestic violence so it helps to ease them of the trauma mm -hmm. and all the things that are associated with growing up in a household of domestic violence um the service uh is free for children is, aged yeah. 6 to 25 um and natasha is a holistic therapist with qualifications in mindfulness and cbt yeah yeah I, I have so much respect for you <laughs> how, how you. did all of this begin well, uh, a long time ago, well, no, it's not long ago, um, I was thinking about this the other day, 2010, when this, when everything started to unravel, so I, um, I grew up around domestic violence and it affected every aspect of my life, but during my childhood, I had no idea, you know, um, that it wasn't normal, that there was, you know, there was such thing as trauma, mental health. I didn't know what, you know, all the feelings and emotions I was going through. I just knew it was it was wrong. Who, who did you live with? Was it both parents, your mum and dad? Yeah, so I lived with both of my parents. So my mum and my dad, they split up. And um, my dad one day decided, I think, you know, um, parents tend to have this power struggle over who's having the child and when. And so my dad decided um i was just going having contact with my dad just about you know to visit him and uh he took me and didn't return me and i was devastated i didn't want that to happen how I, old were you i was seven six or seven and i was devastated because you know i liked my home i had my own bedroom at my dad's house it wasn't um it wasn't his house so i was living with other people um and i was still going to school which was across the road from my mum's house so every day i would my mum would either come to the gates to visit me or um i would just be at school realizing my mum was just this close and it, i i hated it 
And so one day in my little head, I decided that I was, I'd come up with a plan. I was like, right, I'm going to ask dad to take me to visit mom and I'm going to run upstairs to my bedroom and shut the door and say, I'm not leaving till I can stay here. So I did that and it worked. However, what I hadn't, you know, what I didn't know, what he didn't know was that my mom had met this violent man in the meantime. Oh. And that was him. And um, so one night I was just in bed and I just heard, you know, a commotion in the hallway, open the door and he's basically um, on top of my mum, beating her up. So, you know, my instinct was I just jumped on his back and I started to, you know, um, punch him on his back, get off my mum, get off my mum. And that was basically the start of the whole nightmare. Mm. Um and that's when I, re you know, um, I didn't know it was domestic violence, but I realised something was really, really wrong here and, you know, instantly took a dislike to him because I'd ne never actually formally been introduced to him either. That was the other thing. So I can't even imagine how long my mum was going through that before I'd even turned up. Now mm. I think about it, actually. <laughs> Sorry. So it was regular violence and, yeah. and arguments and that is so much for It for was regular, life. you would just be at home, um, just, you know, living your life, playing and then he would either just be angry about something, something would tick him off and he'd start or he'd come in and I rem actually remember one day I was at home, me and my mum were at home and he came in and he was angry about something and he immediately just smashed something and I just thought, oh, here we go. And he, you know, just started on his, mad, you know, madness, mm. um, you know, and his violence and his evil. Um, and that was it all the time, you know. But then it extended to other things like him switching the gas on mm. um, and going out. And I'd, we'd both wake up with the whole, the whole house smelling of gas. Mm. Really um, violent, evil things. Um, and... It, it's you know sometimes I sit back and think wow we're, we're actually you know he was actually trying to, to kill us yeah. you know because yeah. why why would you be doing things like that you mm. you know um yeah was he physically violent towards you or was it did you just witness him being violent towards your mom or property he was um, only um, physical towards me in the sense that when I'd get involved, it would be like a push off or a, mm. you know, get off me and, you know, trying because as the years were going by, I was getting stronger because I was getting older. So, um, you know, my ability to, to try and defend my mum was getting greater. But, you know, I'd never overcome him or anything like that. But, yeah, it was more like get off me, call me names, intimidate me, try and intimidate me and things like that. Mm. How many years did it go on for? So seven till 11. Wow. So most of my developing years. So it was enough to ensure that my brain had been massively changed by everything and my behaviours were set. Um, you know, my outlook was then tainted by that. It had absolutely set me up. How, how did the relationship manage to end? Oh, that's a story in itself. So um, I was out you know, my dad was very um, inconsistent around those times. Um, he didn't even know that was going on at our house because it was the secret, you know, mm. we never spoke about Did it. Did your mum actually tell you to keep it secret or was that just something you'd internalised? It's something that I told myself was the right thing to do and there's reasons for this. So, um, so if I tell you how we left and then I'll tell you why I came to that conclusion as well. So when... Um, so my dad had had me for the day, 
brought me back to the house and only he was there. So my mum had gone out with a friend and um, he was very annoyed because she wasn't home yet. And um, when she came in, in he literally he immediately set up on her, dragged her up the stairs. Um, by this time, we'd moved into a new house, so we were, um, it, you know, but nothing had changed. And my bedroom was literally next door to their bedroom, so I knew any time things were going off now. But um, what he did was um, he locked me in my room, but I had a telephone in my room. Don't ask. I was, yeah, <laughs> I managed to have a little dial-up telephone in my room. And he had locked um, me in mine so I couldn't get out because, you know, I'm getting older. Mm. I'm 11 at this point. Um, and and, I was, and I'd, um, I'd put on a lot of weight because I was emotionally um, binge eating as well. Yeah, that's very so, common. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so... Um, he was laying into her in the room next door. I could not get to her, so I was panicking. I called family. They were not very helpful. Um, I, I I think I even called the police, but again, didn't get much out, any, out, of, any, out of that either. But in that moment, he um, actually raped and sh- tried to strangle her. Thankfully, um, you know, it, my memories of this are so blurred in, in you know, it, I guess my brain protected me in some ways. And um, the next thing I know is I see someone at the end of the... Um, the front door open with somebody there saying get out get out and we've just ran out with the clothes on our back and that was literally the end wow but the reason why um i didn't speak up about it was um after we fled was when my mum started to talk about what was going on and um i rem- i remember basically at some point during that time um when we're still living with it he's far i went to stay with his parents and his dad said to me does does he hit your mom and I was stunned and I in my head I thought how do you how do you know Mm. how do you know why are you asking me that and I did like you know in my head I just had two options I thought if I say yes we may get into more trouble if I say no I'll keep everybody safe and I went with no because I wanted to keep my mum safe. Now, where this caused a problem was that when she started to talk out about it, his family, uh. Tasha said it didn't happen. And I was devastated because I knew it was, it, mm. it was true. And, um, you know, it's come at, it's, you know, later down the line, their family ended up believing us actually. Yeah. But um, at that time I was devastated because his family were doing things like just coming and setting up setting up on my mum randomly in the street and things like that mm. and trying to f- basically fight her why had he been arrested for it at this point yeah and he what, had. did he go to prison he didn't because um it's so annoying and um it's it's basically been reported everything like that all the evidence is there but my mum was scared out of continuing it mm. because um going through with it because his family were coming to intimidate her in the road like i've got a friend um, that i grew up with on that road that i own i saw three weeks ago and he remembers that moment where one of his sisters literally came on to <laughs> literally ran into us on the street and and basically tried to beat up my mum for <sighs> talking about it oh it's just awful when they must have had some indication of what he was like because they asked you exactly. before it even come out so I they know. knew in my little head i just thought to myself how do you know because you know no one's ever around when it happens mm. and and so that was all that curiosity um you know it gave me 
I literally thought I have two choices here and I, I want to save my mom. And, and because of how severe things were getting, I just thought there's no way if I say yes, they're going to be able to save us from him. Mm. Because he was, to me, he was so scary, so powerful. And, you know, I'd seen the mo many moments where he could have killed us. I just thought it's not worth it. Mm. We'll, we'll stay alive if I say no. Yeah. So. And what's, what's how is your mom now? Mm. My mum is doing amazingly well. Um, she's in a long-term relationship now. She's been in that for nearly 18 years. I've got a new sister. Um, everything. Um, we have come a long way together. You know, the, the, just because the violence ended um, didn't mean that, you know, we, life just became really nice and normal mm. for many, many years after that. Um, we both endured more trauma. Um, my mum unfortunately went into another toxic relationship after that so I saw more things mm. um, and I went into the care system my mum um, was that because of a second toxic relationship yeah she um, she attempted suicide and left a note with the neighbours so I was at, I was in um, so we'd fled by this point we're in a new flat away from everyone um, but she'd got into this toxic relationship um, another toxic relationship sorry and I'm playing she's gone you know I thought she'd gone to bed and next thing I know I hear bang on the door you know I've opened it it's my neighbour she's seen the note from my mum the ambulance is called and all that and you know social services got involved and took mm. me into care so that was devastating for me so you know really went through it as a kid yeah. and um and so we you know we had a lot to recover from together she had a lot to recover from and I think we've worked really hard at um mending our relationship because for for some time I'd lost some respect for her I had so much love for her I was massively protective of her but in, in another way I was just like how could you put me through that? I was a little bit ashamed and embarrassed mm. of her. and and But um, I'll be honest, the, the change came when I moved to London. We became, um, we our relationship just improved. I think it was because we weren't in each other's pockets. We, I think we began to miss each other. Um, we, we became better at communicating. And um, especially now I'm, I've moved into this line of work, it's made me really... Um, understanding of you know mm. why she might be the way she is sometimes and I teach her that and, and, I, and I teach her that about me too actually I'm not just going you're like this because of this I'm like mom you know sometimes I'm like this because of this and we've really learned to you know how to um recover together yeah yeah because it's a shared trauma I guess mm. but with different feelings from the both of you and I guess even from from the mum's perspective it must be very hard to carry around that shame and guilt of of how you allowed that to to happen mm. to your child but at the same time you're the victim as well so it's very complex it's isn't so it complex and you know there's lots of stuff that my mom wasn't aware that I was going through while it was happening because there was it's a distraction mm. <laughs> you know having that in your household is distraction worrying about your safety constantly is a distraction so you know there was times where I was um, going to family members and they'd be going it's your fault that's happening mm. and I'm oh like oh my god how how is it my fault what have i actually done mm. so i internalized that and had to go to therapy to to realize that it wasn't my fault was that your mum's family it was actually and why did, what what was their justification for thinking it was your fault i wish i knew i mean um it's i mean that 
person is back in my life now and that took a massive um step from me to be able to forgive that you know that person to mm. and say you know what um we'll never be best friends but you you know it's fine yeah um, but um they said that when she had um when she attempted the suicide mm. sorry and um they were yeah they just said it's that's your fault it's your fault that comes from a place of them actually probably feeling to blame themselves and having to deflect that onto yeah. somebody else, anybody else. I haven't been there, so, you know, I'm feeling bad. I'm just going to need to put project this somewhere that else. Yeah, yeah. yeah people, people are weird. Um, so but in terms of your relationships, obviously you, you had really poor role models for, mm. for what a healthy relationship looked like. And then you went on to become an adult and found yourself in unhealthy relationships yeah and do you think that was because of what you'd seen and witnessed in your childhood absolutely I mean I remember the first relationship I went in it was very um toxic and I um I remember laughing and thinking oh this is what it's like mm. now I'm in one you know ha ha he's calling me a, I can't I, you can't swear on here of course you can you know calling me a can. bitch <laughs> <laughs> You know, calling me a bitch and a dickhead, you dumb bitch, you know, all sorts of things all the time. And I'm just like, ha, 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 is this what it's like? You know, mm. I saw this happen to my mum. Is this, you know, crazy. So nothing at that point made you question whether this was not right. You just completely accepted, the, well, this is how relationships this are. This is how relationships this are. This is what they're I've seen. complicated, they're abusive, they're... Mm. You know, they're dr they're dramatic. Mm. Yeah, there's always something going on. You know, I didn't realise that you could have norm. You know, peace and normality. Yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for years. And how did you break that cycle? I broke that cycle after many cycles <laughs> of. Um, Coming to one day, I just had the realization like, after a really bad, um, you know, another cycle of a toxic relationship ended badly as usual. Um, I just sat with myself and I thought, how did I, you know, how did I get here again? This is weird. You know, by this time, I'd seen enough people around me that were having normal relationships. I was, you know, older. And um, I thought, there's something not right about why I'm picking these people, why am I picking these people? Mm. So I started to really look at them as individuals and, and, and what they had in common. And they're all emotionally un unavailable in one way or another. Um, and some of them are actually, if I'm going to be honest with you, some of them were like, I actually don't want a girlfriend. And I'd be like, that's okay. Mm. <laughs> I'll make you change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or they'd be, um, you know, they'd be showing blatantly who they are. And I'd be like, it's okay, I'll, I can change you, I can save you. All those things that I was doing throughout my childhood, trying to save people, trying to change people, wasn't happening. Um, but anyway, in that moment, I realised there was some responsibility for me to take. And um, I was picking them from a place where I needed healing as well. And um, it, I, 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 again, it's this sitting down thing and writing um what i wanted out of somebody literally you know down to uh, just down to small qualities like they are considerate you mm. know um they are um understanding they actually want a committed relationship and they say it out loud mm. <laughs> you know don't just take um 
you know, take that for granted, say what you want. And I realized also that I was always scared to say up front that I want what I wanted. I'm looking for this. I would never do that. I'd just go with the flow. Yeah, but we're <laughs> taught, we are taught to do that. You know, even like dating gurus or whatever Ooh. are very much like, you know, it will scare men off if you're too upfront about a relationship, allow a man to get to that point, you know. But actually, I think it's fucking nonsense. It is. And I think that when you meet the right person who's not scared of you saying that, that then it will work because there are men who also want to be in relationships and who are open about that. That's and it. Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it, that we're so conditioned to be like, no. To just accept yeah, whatever. just go whatever with whatever scenario he wants to put us in and then we'll try to make it a relationship or try and make him a nice person or a better person. But as long as he's with me and he doesn't go anywhere, then that's fine. Exactly. It's fucked up, isn't it? It is. And we need to stop this because it's 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 kind of encouraging people to go into um, bad relationships thinking that the struggle is normal and that you can yeah. change people and, and things like that. Just if you see a red flag, teach yourself to believe that it's it's you know don't don't try and change what you've seen that's what you've seen trust yourself yeah it's so difficult isn't it i have so many people i mean like gut instinct is so powerful and it's just like nature's evolutionary way of protecting us and i think especially for people who suffer with anxiety it can be very difficult to tell the difference between your gut saying uh something's not right or your anxiety which is just constantly there just niggling away and everything doesn't feel right even though nothing specific has happened but um i I think that that ignoring our gut it's so weird because a lot of people will contact me and they'll say like um you know my gut instinct says this and i've even got a bit of evidence but i need more evidence you know like they'll say maybe he's cheating or maybe he's a you know uh, could be abusive in the future mm. he, he called me a cunt that's your evidence yeah like you don't have to actually if your gut is telling you something and you've got one little incident to back that up with then then that that's your evidence you don't need you don't. anything more you don't need them to actually punch you in your face if your gut is telling you something is off and i can spot it so quickly now yeah. actually i think there's a is there a question about red flags i i can i can almost tell now when i was speaking to a guy not that long ago and I knew that he would be a a, a domestic violence abuser I just Mm. knew he hadn't said anything abusive to me there was just something about him something your nervous system knows it just goes off doesn't it there's something about the way that he was I don't know I don't know how to describe it you know some guys who are a bit like okay uh like you know you might ring them at the time that they said that they wanted you to ring them they're like good girl you're learning or Ooh. whatever and it's just a little comment and yeah. you could bypass it but it can also go like mm. they're just little snippets of controlling behavior yeah. aren't they that can you know the more you comply to that the more they think they can do more of it and that's why eventually you see more and more and more until you know something bad really happens i mean it's bad enough as it is and then you're like i'm leaving or what do i do now yeah mm. Yeah, you know we can very much avoid that it's so easy to fall into it especially if you have had abuse or trauma in your childhood and in terms of domestic abuse in childhood i mean that's what we're going to focus on today we've got a lot of questions from people from my followers who knew that you were coming in but i think we just need to give a bit of clarity around what domestic violence is now domestic violence and abuse doesn't actually have to be physical at all you can be in a domestically violent relationship and they've never touched you, but mm-hmm. they have, it's con- 
to control you is violence. Uh-huh. It's violence against your liberty, your freedom, your independence, and Financial just you as a human. Abuse, so many it, things. All of those things are violent. So, so domestic abuse as a whole covers physical abuse, which could be punching, kicking, spitting, yeah. stabbing, hair pulling, dragging, um, emotional abuse, which is coercion and control. Uh-huh. So manipulation, silent treatment, yeah. calling you nasty names, um, isolating you from, from friends and family, mm-hmm. um, sexual abuse, which is obviously any type of non-consexual sexual mm-hmm. act, filming you, forcing you to have sex, um, you know, any type of sexual assault and of course financial abuse, which is controlling of, of money, yeah. um, keeping family money away from you so that you're completely dependent and reliant on them. Um, so there's lots of different ways that abuse can manifest itself. Yeah. Uh, there's and- gaslighting as well, <coughs> where you they start to make you believe, well, um, not believe yourself actually and believe a reality that isn't really true you know you start to doubt yourself and um you know and believe their lies yeah absolutely i mean there was i I had some great examples of gaslighting actually yesterday on my uh stories let me see if i can get that up at the moment so i'm doing a story all about being caught in the act and uh somebody sent this one in which says that i caught the father of my child discussing how fat and disgusting i was now to his bit on the side two weeks after giving birth to his son when confronted he denied it uh, sorry when confronted he denied it had ever happened and he told me that i needed serious medical help before my baby was taken from me that is such a great example of gaslighting which is that thing of they've clearly done something you and confront them with that and they go, are you mad? Yeah. You, what? What's wrong are with you? Are you great? You need help. And then you can actually start to to really internalise that and think, maybe I do need help. Mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't see that. Um, and actually the other thing that was a really good point in there was that he had threatened to take or said, that, you know, the, the baby's going to be taken from child. you. Yeah. So I think when children come into the equation, when it's domestic violence, they can become a real pawn in Massively. the abuser's um, victimisation. Yeah. You know, if you think, well, if I call the police now or if I leave or whatever, my kids are going to get taken from me. Yeah you're not going to go no you're not going to go and your options become smaller and smaller and then you just decide to 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 stay and 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 believe them even though something within you will always tell you that something isn't right so yeah there is that little isn't there there's that little angel on your shoulder just going this ain't right and you're saying this ain't right but then the devil is saying what you're fucking mad no one's going to believe you and there are a whole load of other barriers as well that we can go into uh as as we talk so so it's it's not that simple but i think the real important thing and why i really wanted to do this podcast with you was I, i think it's incredibly important to think about children you're such a great example of exactly what can happen if we subject our children to these things yeah you know it affects 1.8 million children in the uk so it's not a small issue you know even in the borough that i i come from 2,000 children plus are affected i actually think it's more and i think it's it's rising because i think with domestic violence out of all of the crimes statistically is the least likely to be reported Mm. so we might have statistics that say this is the amount of domestic violence call outs the police have had this year but that's actually totally unreflective of of what's going on within households exactly and especially if the abuse is you know insidious or subtle control then a lot of people don't even realize that actually it is a criminal offense emotional abuse 
abuse, controlling coercion is now a criminal offence that Mm -hmm. the police can be called for. But I think a lot of times people don't because it's so hard to prove. How do you get the evidence of that? that. So difficult. So we'll, we'll go into the questions now that people have sent. And the first one says, do you think that schools should be educating children about domestic violence? Yes, I absolutely do. I mean, um, at some point they discuss um, relationships and sexual health. So Mm. I think it's really important to have that in there as well, because as you are growing up, um, sometimes, you know, when you're young, um, there can be really some really unhelpful, toxic narratives that you might share between each other about relationships, you know, the way men view women and women view men, you know, um, that can start to cause um, that... um, really bad you know sets us up basically to Mm. expect um the worst from each other yeah and um that's not great for you know childhood domestic violence or not you don't want that in your head as you're you know growing up and contemplating a relationship as you you know as you get older we definitely need to add that into into the curriculum and we have done work in schools um and i think it's incredibly important yeah I, i could not agree with you more it's interesting that you touched on you know the expectations of gender roles and things like that and I think it's it's something that's talked about a lot in um by organizations like women's aid and people who are specialists in domestic abuse when you talk about it online and you're just talking to kind of the general public who haven't been trained Mm. or have any experience of this that there tends to be because i'll write about it you know as the woman being the victim and the man being the perpetrator and you get a lot of this not all men yeah and it's really bad because men can be victims of abuse too and absolutely yes they can and there are some very toxic women and and you know it's it's equally as damaging for a man to be in a relationship with a violent or abusive female partner or male partner i mean domestic abuse runs across all types of relationships no matter what gender or whatever but you are not ever going to do justice or or be speaking evidentially or realistically about domestic violence if you don't um come from the perspective that actually this is a a, 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 a women's problem. It's yeah, a women's issue. the majority. The vast majority yeah. of victims are women and the vast majority of perpetrators are men. And if we ignore that fact, then we are actually ignoring one of the things which is at the core of domestic abuse and violence, which is the perception that women have a lesser status than men. Mm. And that, you know, it's intergenerational from years and years and years and thousands of years yeah. ago. That you know, society told us that women have a role and that we are the cooks, the cleaners, and the mothers, and that men are the providers and the dominant people in the household. And as you know, domestic violence has gone on since time began, um, and has almost become a sort of expectation. You know, a man was allowed to control his woman by beating if he felt he needed to, if her behaviour was out of control. Um, And that has stayed with us up until this point. And so I think a lot of people are like, this person's a narcissist, this person's that. No, they're a misogynist. Mm. And they believe that they have the right to control their woman. Exactly. And that's where it very often stems from. And research supports this and backs this up. So for us to avoid all of that kind of conversation is very unhelpful to anybody. Completely. And it's really, I'm really glad you said that because when my mum eventually went to the police, um, part of the story that I missed out was that she married this guy so he ended up being my stepfather and um, and when she reported it the police said oh is your husband you know it's, mm. it's, it's okay 
no, it's not. Mm. <laughs> um, and that, but this was the dangerous narratives that were going around about domestic violence, and it still is that ten, narrative. You know, only ten years ago. Yeah, you know. So, and we haven't moved that much Especially, forward. I really hope people understand yeah. you know that we're not that far forward we're not that far forward and especially i mean some women it, 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 you know still hold that that the man has ultimately got power mm -hmm. within the household uh, and the whole husband notion can really provide a gray area for some people around sex and rape yeah. uh, they believe you know it can't be rape can't he's my that. husband he's entitled to my body uh which it is rape if you it don't is. want to have sex at any point it doesn't matter if you're married um or not but again culturally as well you know we've got a long way to go women particularly from um well in fact i was going to say Asian backgrounds, but also in many African cultures, mm -hmm. um, Turkish uh, cultures, uh, Arabic, you know, yeah. across the world, Russia. I see many Poland. different children in my office, No, you know, yeah. across cultures. Yeah, C culturally, I, I mean, it's, it's still a, a huge problem and a huge sense that women are below men. Yeah. We are subordinate and that they are allowed to dominate and control using whichever means they need to to run their household mm. and that is fucked and and this is why we need to stop going well not all men and what about men because actually yeah we know it's not all men obviously and and what about men well we can talk about we them can do that but too. let's let's yeah. let's focus on what is the real issue like you know if i've broken two legs but i've got a splinter in my finger let's deal with the legs and then we can get the splinter out later so that's that's how I see it. But yeah, I totally agree. Schools should be educating children about domestic violence. I used to be um, a sexual health and relationships educator in schools, mm. and we used to teach in in four sections. So the last two would be contraception, STIs, yeah. safe sex. But the first two would be about the first one would be about self esteem and actually loving yourself and understanding that you know why you should seek healthy relationships but also that relationships aren't everything and mm. that the relationship with yourself is is the first thing that you need to work on and then the second part was about teaching children to understand what are healthy relationships and what aren't and it, we used to draw on um things like eastenders and yeah. coronation streets and show them examples of relationships that weren't healthy and help them to identify it in that way but we would only ever be there for for four weeks like okay. you know w one session a week for four weeks you've got us in there for an hour telling you what a healthy relationship is and how to start thinking about healthy relationships but then the rest of the messages that you're getting at school online from parents you know exactly i'm not sure if that can be backed you know counter counteracted by like a one session on that but yeah so i think ch children at school should be expo exposed to information about what is a healthy relationship yeah. what's normal what's not normal from really early actually from really from early. like five yeah because when your brain is developing that is the you know it's in your developing years sorry it's really important to get as much you know healthy safety um so safe um and you know what's the word um healthy safety safely <laughs> um and responsible information to yeah. that child yeah. because it's going in, mm. you know, it's connecting and it's making sense for them and it's helping them to look at things and think, well, that's not normal. That's not okay. That doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also it gives them an outlet. You know, there are 
loads of children in schools who are going home every night and hearing their mums getting beaten or shouted at or whatever and actually I think if we're talking about it openly in schools it gives those children an avenue to go oh shit like this is happening to me I've now been given a phone number of NSPCC or my local authority or the police or whatever I know what to do now so we keep children safe by having open conversations about this stuff I don't ever think that there should be this thing, oh, you t- talk about this kind of stuff when it's old, when they're older. Yeah. It's a bit deep. It's a bit adult. No, it's not. You can talk about things in an age-appropriate way because they're exposed to this stuff anyway. Exactly. And, um, you, know, the go- you know, the thing about schools as well is that the teachers also need to be taught about domestic violence and what you know because you the, the thing is I went very much under the radar about um, about what was going on with me at school however there were things they were I remember we were asked to drew to draw a picture of our homes and I drew my house on fire oh but and the teacher was disgusted you know why have you drawn that and I said I actually you know I have a very clear memory of going because I hate it there mm. did nothing but what I do remember, actually, um, when we fled, he tried to kidnap me from school as a way of, you know, getting back at my mum. And, um, you know, they knew he wasn't to come and get me. And um, he tried to come and get me. And I remember my head teacher hid me in her office till he had left. And that was when I realised they knew. I was like, oh, they know. Did they call the police at that point? Yeah, they must have done. Yeah. There's so there's, there's so many memories that are so clear and there's other memories that just are like, so what happened next? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, it's interesting, isn't it? Like you said before, it's your brain has just protected you. Shut, shuts down, shuts doesn't down. it, during really traumatic incidents that's to, yeah, protect to protect us. you. Um, so I think that's interesting. One of the other questions was, um, how can we spot the signs that a child is living in a, in a violent home? And that's not necessarily just for people who work in school settings. Mm. That could be any of us. Any we, of you us. know, safeguarding is everybody's responsibility. Whether you're a shopkeeper who regularly sees this child or you're an auntie to this child or you are working in a school I think it's really important that we all know the signs that a child is living in a violent home so that was a really good example that you gave of actually when you were asked to represent what your how you know what your home life was like that was really glaringly fucking obvious at that point what what are the other signs that we can can see it's it is really hard I'll be honest because if I hadn't you know the fact that I drew that and it didn't go noticed is one thing but then before that there was no other signs you know I wasn't acting out I was very quiet and insular and shy but that is one of the Um, signs but that is a sign being withdrawn however some teachers till this day will say they're just like keeping themselves to themselves Mm. no um there are you know i work with children day in day out there are ways um to communicate with a child that is like that you can ask them to write Mm -hmm. you can ask them to draw you um but also it's about building a relationship why should a child just trust you like that yeah you know especially if they've got that going on at home i know you are a teacher but you still have to earn these children you know these children's trust it's Mm. just not that simple so um it's not taking everything for face value like you said if they are insular and shy and you know quite anxious there's going to be some reason why yeah and I I think it's looking out for those changes isn't it as well I mean some children are just going to be naturally withdrawn and and shy if you have a child in your class or or around you who's gone from being one way to another another. significant behavior changes are are definitely a big sign aren't they and then there's, you know, the other side, which is the, um, I guess, what you see as the extreme behaviours, which is, um, 
you know, the outward violence, the fighting, um, the anger, um, you know, self-harm, um, you know, um, weight loss or massive weight gain. You know, that's something that they could have seen in me as well because mm. I was very skinny and suddenly I was like, um, you know, at, at one point I was a size 16 at, mm. at 10 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Not normal. Yeah. Everyone could see that. But anyway... Um, there are so there's it's it is being um very sensitive to you know to the to the things that we might just turn the blind eye at um and it's about communication yeah as well talk to the child of you know you you may come across a child like I was that if you'd asked me I may have not told you anything but if we had built a relationship who knows if I'd opened up if I would have opened to you up to you at some point but then um if you have built a relationship with a child, you will ultimately notice things as well. So yeah. it's not even just about what they turn, they say. Yeah. You, you know, in my job now, I notice things all the time and the child um, hasn't said a word. Yeah. And it's just about, that is about experience and it is about education. So that, but that is something that we are working on. We have a course that we've written, um, which is going out next year, which will be rolled out everywhere because we need to, 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 Erad not eradicate this but we need to well we do but we need to um, work at this th from every level possible yeah totally agree I mean if you are working with children some of the signs that you might want to look out for are things like bedwetting bedwetting yes. is really common with children who are exposed to domestic violence for a number of reasons that anxiety and but also because some of them don't want to get out of bed yeah. because mommy is being beaten downstairs mm -hmm. and they can't get out of bed and so they just get used to staying in this kind of trapped situation um preoccupation when they're at school is really common as well yeah. because they're worried is mum going to be alive when i get home mm -hmm. um you know imagine that feeling but then sometimes people will say oh you know my child's doing really really well at school so you know you can see that there's nothing there's nothing nothing going on but actually sometimes they will overachieve at school because that is their safe haven that is, that's yeah. the only place where they feel contained and they feel all right because home is a war zone mm -hmm. so it's not so you know it's really difficult to to see through it but yeah changes in behavior violence and aggression towards other children uh -huh. or towards themselves um I'm just, I should have written out a bloody list, and shouldn't I? I'm so like, unprepared. <laughs> it's all right. You know, it's also about how they speak about the other gender as well. There's, yeah. you know, there's things that are, you know, that come out via that. You know, I've heard a child say something like, oh, wim all women are waste. I'm like, mm. wait a minute, where have you got that from? Yeah. That didn't come from you. That's come from somewhere. Yeah. We have to talk about that. And we did. Absolutely. So it's, you know, yeah, and I think, God, that's so important, isn't it? Dealing with this whole, like, misogyny issue from a really basic ch child level, like, yeah. actually breaking down these gender norms and, and trying to get rid of that because that is ultimately the seed that may grow into control yes. and, and violence. Um, but, again, one of the things that you said that I think we should probably try to touch on is that, um, you know, if we're spotting the signs that a child, child is living in a violent home, how might you get that inf how might you have a conversation with them about that how do you get that information out of them now this is difficult because even in my role there's a lot of trust that you have to build before a child will tell you anything yeah um you know um there may be times you know there's times where a child has walked into my office and just blurted everything out because they just are at that point 
but then you've got children that are, you know like like me that was taught to stay quiet about things and you might have to chip away at the bit um mm. it is difficult i'm not gonna lie this is probably the hardest one of the hardest things to do um to, to you know to get them to to talk about it and share that with you um I mean, a lot of them will have been taught that if you tell anyone, you're going to get taken away yeah, from your mum. Yeah, you're going to get taken you're away. You're going to get taken away. Trouble. Yeah, um, exactly. And so there are so many barriers to it. And also, I think the thing that we've got to remember is that even though, uh, especially if the person is their biological father and mm. they've lived with them for, you know, all of their entire life, as much as they might hate the abuse, they might love the perpetrator. That's the difficult thing as well. I mean, one of the things that... Um, has been a helpful opening with me and children sometimes is if I say to them, do you feel safe? Mm. And they'll sit with that and say, some of them just say no and then we can talk, but some will ask, what does that even mean? And mm. I'll say, you know, do you ever worry about what's happening around you? Do you worry about anything that's going on at home? Do you worry about school? Are you, do you have any concerns? Um, you know, um, do, you, are you, do you feel safe when you're out, um, you, know, on the, you know, in the streets and yeah. things like that? And it will open up a, a wider conversation that eventually gets us to where, you know, where, where I'm looking to go to, but it also yeah. might bring up other things too so that can also be a, a helpful question do you feel safe yeah I think it's important to you know I was always trained to not ask leading questions so yeah. to make sure that you give open-ended so don't say does mummy hit daddy yeah no but you can say lots of parents argue and have problems at home is that something that happens in your house mm. can you tell me a bit more about that um but yeah, like you say, I mean, it's it's so difficult in terms of like social work and things like that. You are literally expected to just go in, meet this child, and be like, right, tell me everything. When actually, your 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 abusive dad has probably warned you that like we yeah, are child snatchers who get commissioned to take children off their pet. You know, yeah. so so it, it it's you're caught between a rock and a hard place, trying to make this child trust you who's seen you for two minutes and who's so traumatized anyway yeah. it's, it's it's very is, difficult it's, that's probably one of the most difficult parts to, yeah. to gain that trust of the child it, it really is um so the next question says how do you explain abuse to kids um when i mean it's not easy i would say when i'm talking to a child i would say um you know parents do things um let me think. When I've had to explain to a child what's going on at home, um, you know, they'll see, they have, will have seen things, but I will say to them things like, um, parents and, well, adults sometimes do things to each other that aren't healthy and aren't, um, aren't safe for us to be around. And, um, and some of those things are things like, um, violence or saying nasty things to each other um things that aren't um keeping us safe and happy um it just depends actually on the child i won't always just go into the you know you know slapping hitting you know it just you know it depends how ready that child is but at some point we will have a conversation about it but i don't go into that straight away but um to explain it to them it's just a, it's about well, first of all, I would have a conversation about what a healthy relationship looks like first. Yeah. So we have that as a contrast to work from. So um, 
coming you know whatever they come up with you know it might be um it might be good perceptions it might not and if it's not we can then address that with the child and say well no that isn't normal that's not okay that's not okay for you to accept either um you know this is how we do things we are we are we are you are expected to have respect um, in a relationship, you are expected to be spoken to well. You are um, you are not supposed to tolerate being, you know, to be being slapped or hit. Um, so it's about putting um, putting out there what they aren't supposed to, you know, what they shouldn't be expecting and what they shouldn't be um, putting up with. But then, but yeah, if you have that conversation first about what a healthy relationship looks like, then you can go to, you know, the what's not so healthy mm. um, and address both at the same. Sometimes that is the easier way. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we're so bombarded, really, with images of, of, of unhealthy relationships. You know, even if you look at, um, like, Disney films mm. and stuff that we were brought up with. I always draw on Greece, which there wasn't obviously any physical yeah. abuse but but i mean bordering on emotional abuse you know she yeah. she meets this guy and they have a really great time and then they come back and he's like oh who are you oh no like in front of his mates like no i don't remember you what yeah. and then she does everything she can to chase, chase him herself. and then chase herself and then she has to become this hot woman really sexy and then that you know then he wants her again yeah. and so th there are so many films and songs and images that tell us from a very early age that this is what a relationship is like it takes yeah. you know you, you you have to struggle and that there has to be this element of that you chasing them and them mm. not wanting you and and perhaps them being quite horrible to you and you know so i i think it's really important to use the kind of music and imagery and, and movies that we use to show them what is the difference between healthy and unhealthy um and and to get them to think a lot more about you know what they're seeing and the relationships that are around them yeah. who's their role models um well, i think obviously in terms of explaining abuse to children you have to be really age appropriate you do you know you can't just go straight into you know these real harsh realities with, unless you have teenagers unless you have teenagers yeah. and they're ready to understand they're you know they're developed they are um they're aware of things they are you know, it's just much easier to kind of address um, things more openly and the real harsh realities of relationships at that point. But when they're younger, we what we don't want is to traumatise them. Mm. You know, we don't know what sort, you know, th this is also um, decide deciding if you if you know there's the violence going on at home you might trigger something if that you know if there's not violence at home you might traumatize them anyway because mm. you're saying you're telling them about things that don't sound very nice and that's not happening at home so yeah. you, you have to be very careful and you have to tread the, you know the water carefully which is why i said um start from what does a healthy relationship yeah. look like and then you can go from yeah, there yeah absolutely spot on but it's funny that you mentioned um greece because i always hated greece oh <laughs> really was like one people that 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 didn't like greece and as a as a kid i saw everyone raving about it and i'd be like why does, why does everyone like this i don't get it i don't like why she had to change herself yeah yeah I you you got it i, like, got I, it. I loved i loved it <laughs> and i swear to god it's ruined my entire life yeah. i've spent my whole adult life like trying to change to mm. please men um 
and I just love the soundtrack. Ser- yeah. Seriously, I can't get like every Insta live. I'm like, let's put on a grease tune. <laughs> oh my god, I lose a load of followers. <laughs> Um, all right, so the next question says, is it okay to have love for someone if they have assaulted you? you yeah, it is okay because you, love is a feeling and you can't just switch feelings off um, just like that. You know, you may always love someone, you know, being honest with you, I've got, um, you know, the ex that was mostly, um, mostly ab- you know, abusive out of the rest, you know, um, the yeah anyway he um i will always have some love for him because we went through years together with there's things that we shared with each other that weren't always about the violence so there's there's that and you know um a lot of my um adult life was shared with him but um what we don't do is allow that us allow that to um keep us in the relationship and to hold on to that you know we let that go in peace with them so it's okay to love them from a distance yeah yeah, yeah. and i I, th- I think that's that's a difficult thing isn't it, it, it if, if that's how you're feeling then it's okay how you feel? like you know i wouldn't actively encourage you to try to maintain a love mm. with someone who has assaulted you yeah. but like you say it's there's nothing wrong it's not abnormal for you to feel that love yeah. you know part of the problem with domestic abuse and and also i think i should have probably said at the beginning is that domestic abuse is not just partner relationships it's anyone who you live with yeah so if you live with your dad and your dad is you know hitting you that's domestic violence within the home um you know and and i think the nature of domestic abuse and why it's so difficult is actually we usually really love the people who are doing it to us that's what you know it's what keeps us there exactly the The way you're going to feel if you walk down the street and someone mugs you and punches you is going to be a completely different reaction to if it is somebody you've already got an established relationship Mm -hmm. with doing that so so that's what makes it so complex and and so hard to report and it is one of the biggest barriers um and i think that's why it's really important when communicating with children is to not demonise the person yeah. who's doing it, actually, um, because then that can give them a lot of very conflicting feelings because then they start to yeah. feel like an abuser because they love an abuser. Mm-hmm. So actually the problem is not the abusive person, it's their behaviour. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are a problem. Yeah, they are we a know problem. That, that their behaviour, their outward behaviour is the, is the, you know... They are a problem. Whatever's happening in their brain is a problem to, mm. to then communicate that that's the right behaviour to output is a problem. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it is difficult when yeah. there's a child involved, you you know, and we'll, you know, um, hopefully talk about, child, you know, the par- parents and things like that. But it it's difficult. You can't do that with the child yeah. um, because they're going to have a lot of love for that person. And even when you split up, um the, the child is going to feel very conflicted. Of course, and it's part of their identity. To say, your dad is a fucking arsehole, <laughs> I mean, you can, as a child, you internalise that, you mm. know. And actually, if you don't believe that your dad is an arsehole because you've seen him doing some amazing, lovely things, then it becomes a very confusing discussion to have. And it's a bit like, you know, if you're, if you're an adult and you've chosen to be in a relationship with someone and your partner is domestically abusive as many of your friends as you like can say he's a dickhead he's a dickhead leave him but actually for you that's not the reality and it can almost make us become more defensive and it can make us grind our heels in and stay longer because we're like no he's not a dickhead you don't see the side that I see to him yes he's punched me five or six times and stolen all my money and whatever but yeah exactly so I think it's really unhelpful for us to to 
to demonize the people yeah. but to really shine a light on the behavior and how wrong the behavior is and if that person comes with that behavior and they're not changing that person can't stay in your life and like you say you may love them but it has to be done in a safe way and and, and you can love them and wish that they were different but that they still have to be out of your life you have to make that choice um all right the next question says is it ever possible to overcome domestic abuse from your child and teen years i still feel hurt and embarrassed 10 years on i don't know if she meant that she was in an abusive relationship or she experienced it as as a child it sounds like she experienced it as a child to me that's how i've heard it yeah um i would say um you absolutely can um i wouldn't say you can overcome it totally i'm going to be honest about that i'm still managing till this day um but you can absolutely um change um the effects of the trauma on you mm. over time and it does take um it, it takes discipline because trauma absolutely changes your nervous system it changes your brain development you know especially you know if it happens in your developing years absolutely it will um and it can taint everything like you know it, there was no area of my life that it didn't have an effect on school jobs um, relationships every aspect everything and so it's about being introspective and taking time out to understand yourself and how it affected you because it can affect everybody differently and that's about understanding you you understanding your triggers then um, if possible you can get some sort of therapeutic support um, when it comes to managing your triggers it's about um, looking at your reactions when triggers happen and mm. how you can learn to lessen your reaction to those triggers each time um, having those around you that understand what your triggers are and that's that's about you feeling safe to communicate about those things so it, a lot of um, trauma um, the feeling of trauma is about the lack of um, feeling safe mm. and so when you do that you're constantly trying to feel safe and you're going to be doing all sorts of things that will look crazy to other people sometimes um, but you're trying to just keep yourself safe and that might be from um, people pleasing it might be um, not going out it might be isolating yourself it might be acting really uh, outlandish because that means people will like you or notice you for what you know for once because you weren't noticed as a child there's so many things and this is why it can be quite complicated but that's why I say sit with yourself, um, get to know yourself, rebuild that trust with yourself because that's the thing that does get taken away from you as a child when you're growing up around domestic violence because that it's that lack of safety again taken from you. Um, seeing the par your parent that is supposed to keep you safe, not keep you safe. How do you feel safe in the world after that? Mm. How do you trust that anyone else can keep you safe if your own parent can't? how can you um you know just relax and feel settled you know it makes me laugh when people go just relax and you're like yeah it works it just doesn't work like that mm. you know we we have we have things that we need to have in place in our minds to know that we can just chill out and be safe here yeah um um there are you know it is getting um it's it's about awareness it's about accountability because that's the thing when you're in survival mode you will do 
Um, some of us will do some toxic things. We will build our own toxic behaviours that we've learned from, you know, our, the perpetrators and the things that we have done to keep ourselves safe. So we need to address those things too. Um, you know, any patterns that we found ourselves in, we need to look at those. Again, going back to the root of that is going to be helpful because once you've done that, then you know why you're doing it and then you can move forward with awareness it's it's the thing when you are aware of why you do things and you just carry it on that's mm. just toxic then then you're making a conscious decision to be that way and using that as an excuse that's not fair on every anyone and it's not fair on you yeah you deserve more than that so it's with that awareness you go on to build on top of that um making healthy changes make every day being conscious you know being conscious in your choices that you make um the people that you choose to have around you know when I had my breakdown um many years ago before I started free your mind which was why I started free your mind in the end um I had I, I didn't have a job because I'd lost my job um my circle of friends was kind of just dwindling because I was constantly drinking to manage my um manage managing my trauma and my mental health problems um I'd ended up back at home at my mum's house. It, by this point, I'd moved to London, got a nice corporate job. I was, you know, on the surface, it looked great, but beneath it was terrible. And um, that was the point where I, I, I sat down and I said, how, how the hell did I get here? And I had to, re you know, I went through it all, you know, went to uni, got a job. You know, um, you know, my life looked like most of my peers on the on the surface. And then I went back to my childhood and, re you know, everything came, came flooding back. You know, the reason why um, I was a people pleaser, because I was trying to please everyone as a child. The reason why I'd never speak up for myself and I'd managed, I'd built this, um, this sort of friendship circle where I was the quiet one, built myself as the quiet one, the people pleaser, the weak one. Back to that again. You know why I couldn't cope in the workplace. Having a male manager was the worst thing for me. I couldn't. It would. It was triggering to have someone, a male, telling me what to do. I just didn't like it. It was affecting everything. And mm. so, in that moment, once I'd realised everything made sense because of that, it gave me something to build from. It made. It gave me a chance to start a new, um, a new page. And, you know, and the fact that I had no job at this point, I literally was at rock bottom and, you know, had a choice to stay there or start building with every, you know, a, a block by block every day and come back from it. And um, I started to write a blog about growing up around domestic violence. And um, but at this point, I wasn't very savvy. It's funny how, you know, I've come a long way. <laughs> Um, and I, the, the blog was public, but I never thought about it. I thought it was private, silly me. Um, it was public and members of the public were slowly finding it and messaging me and going, I can't believe someone's finally talking about growing up around domestic violence. I grew up that way as well. I didn't think we could talk about it because it's always a mom and dad thing. Mm. And I was like... I know, <laughs> I know, right. And so I thought I've got to do something about this because I was looking for services that specifically helped children or, um, yeah, children that grew up around domestic violence and there, wa there wasn't one. Um, and that's when I thought I've got to do this. I'm going to do it myself. And that's why Free Your Mind is here. Yeah, and um, thank God it is because there are very limited services actually for for 
you know, for, children, for children who've been through it. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things that, that holds people back in, in terms of this is this sense of having to really understand that it wasn't your fault, yeah. whether you were the victim within a relationship or you were the victim as a child and it was your parents' relationship. I think the thing that fucks a lot of people up is this feeling of self-blame. Yeah. I think children are often made to feel it's it's their fault. They're often used as pawns in violence. Yeah. Um, you know, the father or mother will... Will blame, will can directly you know blame what said them. To me, remember, it's your fault. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And some can, you know, sometimes they know that mum can't leave because dad has said that you know you'll you'll lose the kids or mm. whatever. Um, and, and and so there can be this real sense of self blame. I caused this. None of this would have happened if it wasn't for mm. me. Um, and then if if that bit is not repaired, I think that that can last for a, a really long time. Yeah. Um, and. and and I think that that has when we're working with children or, or we have children who have experienced that, I think this constant message that it is not their fault, they are not to blame, is yeah. such an important thing to get in there. It's so it, true. Every child that comes into me has an issue with guilt. Mm. And, you know, you know, I said to you earlier about what happened to me, that was the that was like probably the biggest part of my fight was 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 relinquishing that and giving it back to the person that said it to me. Yeah. You know, it was never my fault. No, no, and I, and I, but even you know, women that I speak to on a daily basis who are thirty years old and have just been hit for the first time by their partner will always say, "Yeah, but this is what happened first, and you know, it was kind of my fault because if I hadn't got up in his face or if I hadn't threatened to leave, you know, that there is so abusers are so clever, yeah. and they have got such incredible mind control." that they can make us believe that it is our fault. Especially if after an assault or an attack, they become really lovely and really remorseful. Um, then, we can, then we're like, oh, actually, he's a really good person and I must have driven him to this. And, you know, so I think it is once you lose those chains of feeling to blame mm. that you can really start to work on all the other stuff. Well, I mean, that has to be constant work, but... Yeah. I think that's the point, isn't it? It is going to be work. It's, and it's constant work. It it's is constantly checking, checking yourself and checking <coughs> within yourself as, yeah. at the same time. Yeah. I mean, time is a healer, but time's not going to heal anything unless you do the, the do work, work alongside it. Um, and, and in terms of therapy, we always talk to people about getting therapy, but I think a lot of people are like, well, you have to be rich to have therapy. Mm. And that's not the case. Like... I mean, if you live in the UK, you can go to your GP. There you will can. be a waiting list. This is why we need to vote Labour on yes, the 12th everybody. of December. If this, <laughs> Hopefully this will come out before the 12th of December. You know, there are massive cuts to services, which are leaving people um, vulnerable and unable to access uh, resources that they really need. Mm. So if you go to your GP, they might put you on a waiting list for mm. talking therapies. There are ways of accessing therapy for free. Um, I believe that there, I, I, again, I should have got the name of this if you google free counseling or free therapy in my area there are a load of newly qualified or just about to be qualified therapists mm. who need to get a certain amount of hours under their yeah. belts to prove um for their you know final dissertation yeah, or whatever it is there are like. ways of getting and, and and again if it's domestic violence based google look, look up women's aid or look up your local area so it, you know right now we're sitting in islington so you could put islington domestic mm. violence support services 
and things will come up and you can contact those resources for for free therapy there's also the domestic violence um helpline <coughs> yeah which um which is fantastic actually um can help um at least signpost you if they can't help but they'll they will always try to do something they won't leave you high and dry if that you know if you need to get a place at a refuge they will be actively looking for that for you if you need therapy um they'll be you know they can signpost you to people so the domestic violence um helpline if you literally just type that into google it will just come up straight away yeah and there's a safe button as well if you need to come off that really quickly, you can. Yeah. And obviously, free your mind. And there's us too. <laughs> Are you only available to people who live in London at the moment? At the moment, yeah. I mean, the... the the idea is to start moving to other parts of the country um, and developing spots there for the children as well so everybody can get a chance at getting that. How can we help that be more likely to happen? Can we make donations? Yes, yes, please. It's It's only funding, you know... The team is there. We can, you, we can, you know, train and get the right people. But without the funding, we can't. We cannot build um, these places and spaces. Um, so you can donate if you go to our website. There is a donate button. We sell these. What's your website? Oh, it's www.freeyourmindcic.com. And yeah. donate is one of the buttons there. Yeah. Okay. And also we can find that through your Instagram at, at yes. Free Your Mind CIC. Yeah, just at Free Your Mind CIC. Um, on, or you can find it via me, which is Natasha K. Benjamin. Yeah. yeah. All right. So there's lots of ways. And if you have listened to this and you understand how important it is, it would be amazing if you could donate yes, um, yes. To, to Free Your Mind because children everywhere should have access to these kind of resources. Um, all right, so the next question says, how do you support your own child's mental health after domestic violence? So it is likely to have... You, yeah, you know, I think actually the interesting thing is that children are very different, aren't they? Mm. I, I've worked in families where there might be three siblings, yeah. so they've all gone through, witnessed the exact same stuff, and you have one child who is totally unaffected yeah. by it, is incredibly resilient, has managed to just pull through and and get on with it yeah. you'll have another child who is incredibly angry and violent towards other people mm -hmm. and really starts to mirror the behaviors of the perpetrator yeah. then you'll have another sibling who is very isolated withdrawn depressed sad all the time crying you know and they've all seen the same stuff but it, it is so different how it affects different children yeah, isn't it it's a dynamic i see all the time literally what you said I, I i have this in families that i see often and i would you know i i, I hope this doesn't sound cheesy but honestly showering that child with love is the start you know communicating with them um being curious about their behaviors don't just take them to be naughty or angry you know angry is just the layer look beneath that you know if they are angry say what's making you feel this way what happened are you feeling scared are you worried about something be curious don't and um you know this is down to patience as well don't don't just kind of dismiss that child you do have to take the time to sit with them 
talk things through if they're not being verbal use emojis you know in my office we've got emojis on the wall so the children can point out how they feel that's you such know. a good idea there's just ways around it we've just got to think outside the box everything isn't just about talking and even in um, my field actually talking is one of the things that we do the least mm. because um, there's a thing about trauma that some talking about it the brain won't know the difference whether it happened that day or, t you know, the day you're talking about it or 10 years ago. It feels everything. Your nervous system reacts exactly the same way because you're conjuring up all those thoughts and feelings. And so talking isn't always the best way. Um, you know, you can draw, spend time with them, take them out. You know, it's all about... Um, creating a sense of safety for that child so they don't yeah. feel that they need to act out in order to keep themselves safe and that goes for us as adults too yeah absolutely i mean i think that the mental health is a really important thing you know children can suffer from ptsd after yeah. abuse they can suffer with depression anxiety um and i think if your child is experiencing those things in a way that you are clearly unable to manage as a parent you need to seek professional help you you have to be um open to to taking them to the gp but yeah. also being honest about what has led to this uh -huh. because they're not going to be able to get the right treatment if a gp just thinks <clears throat> Oh, this kid's really anxious for no reason. Yeah. Like, you know, so I think you, you do have to be honest. I think you're right in terms of speaking about what's happened. Making them relive that trauma over and over again is not a good idea. No, it's so it's just so painful for them. And, you know, when we speak about our own <coughs> stuff, you know, we don't exactly, you know, jump at the chance to do it. So think about it, what what it might what it must be like for them. We, we have to create that sense of safety for them before they yeah. will do that. But I think talking is is ultimately going to be the thing that they need to be encouraged to do. Mm. Not necessarily relive incidents, but certainly talk about how they feel. Talk about, talk feelings, about what they're worried emotions, about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the other questions is how do you make your children feel safer after abuse? And I think that that is the same as how to support your child's mental health yeah. after DV. It's just about containing them, giving them a safe space. Stability. Stability, yeah. Predictability is helpful as well because that gives them a sense of what's coming next. Because that's the thing about domestic violence. You are never sure of what's coming next. Yeah. And so if you can create that stable, safe environment for them, then you can build from that. You can build a healthy, a healthier situation for your child, a healthier perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just create you just um, create yourself a, a great opportunity to um, build change in that child and for yourself. Yeah, I think it's really important to be calm around those mm. children as well and not shout at them or lose the plot. Yeah, you, you know, you have to think. It's very easy as a mother, you know, I shout at my son a lot, which I wish I didn't. Yeah. Luckily, he's never witnessed anything, any type of abuse that he's recovering from. But, you know, perhaps, I, you know, in a, of a morning when I'm like, brush your teeth now <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily you would th be more mindful about doing that with mm. children who have grown up around you know trauma and and shouting and, and things like that but it can also be really difficult if you are the person who has experienced abuse you know say you're the mum and you're recovering from abuse from the father to be able to then be a really good mum to the child or especially if you're still in it mm. is very challenging because you know we all know what it's like 
if something awful has happened, you can't really concentrate, you're no. all over the place, your, your, your head's not there, to be able to behave like a normal, good, calm mum who just gets the dinner ready and has wonderful conversations with their child yeah. about how they're feeling, it's virtually impossible if you have just been strangled and raped exactly. by your partner. You know, so so it's incredibly challenging. Um, and, and, I, and I think that as... as yeah, I mean, you you will need support to do it if you are within, if you are still within that, if you're not yeah. in a place where you're healed and recovered yourself. Very difficult to help your children to heal and recover. It is because you need to heal and recover as well, you know, and you can't do that in the same environment that's causing the the pain and the trauma and the you know the destruction in your you know in your life. You ultimately do need to get out mm. for that to to be able to happen. And the children too, you know, the children that come to me that are still going back to the, the homes, um, I often despair because I'm like, it undoes most of the work. So I have to give them tools that they can use um, to, to kind of just help regulate themselves in those moments, mm. um, things that they can do for themselves, um, despite what might be going on in the living room. Or and what's that, like breathing? Yeah, so... Um, different um breathing techniques um there's a there's a tapping technique that i teach the children as well tapping therapy that they can use um there's mindfulness as well where you can so this is really hard if everything is going off in the house you cannot you know it's going to be really hard to concentrate you're going to run want to run out there and save them or just keep yourself safe but um with mindfulness is that is kind of focusing on one thing but not only focusing on that one thing, but looking at every detail of that, literally taking everything in about it till you've seen it all. Um, and that can help. Um, I guess it's like a mind trick in a way. You're literally distracting the mind from being everywhere. Mm. But you, you bring yourself into the present by doing that. Um, journaling as well. Um, using art. Um those are probably some of the only things you can probably do whilst you're still in the situation, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, um, I mean, the risk of children being in the situation is that they can get hurt in the crossfire. Yeah. Um, I mean, and also there are massive links and overlaps with, I think it's between 40 and 60% of um, children who are living in domestically violent households will also be subjected to sexual and physical abuse. Yeah. There is such a big link between domestic violence and other forms of abuse. If your partner is violent towards you, then there is a very high chance that they may be sexually violent towards your children yeah. um, and physically violent towards your children. In fact, I don't ever remember working with a really serious case where there wasn't a feature of domestic violence in the background. Pretty much every serious case review that I was ever privy to mm. Even if the child died because of something else, there would always be a history of domestic violence somewhere, somewhere. either in the parent's childhood or between yeah. the parents. Um, gangs, that I, I work with a lot of um, teenagers who had gone into gang uh, behaviour and who were either stabbing or getting stabbed and again if you looked into their history 80% maybe even higher there was a history of domestic yeah. violence between their parents um 
So it's like it underpins everything. everything. If you are able to smash your wife in the face or, you know, strangle your partner in front of your children, then you are capable of a lot. Yeah. Um, it, you know, a lot of people who are in prison, again, grew up around, grew up around domestic yeah. violence. It, it is is so overarching and massive and and it is something that we really need to think about um and 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 as mothers we have to protect our children and it is our duty to do so but we also have to remember that leaving um increases the risk massively the most dangerous time for a woman is is actually just the period around separation doesn't make you necessarily safer actually it makes not at all far far more at risk which is why you need professional support and safety plans to be able to do to do that um and which is why we shouldn't just say to people leave 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 exactly there's so much to it i remember um when i first started free your mind i um a young girl referred herself to me she had grown up around domestic violence and then found herself in a violent relationship and she was ready to go but it was not that simple to just, you know, leave. Yeah. You know, we had to enlist, um, find a refuge that would take her first, um, find the right time for her to get some stuff to leave. Because that's the other thing. If you've got things there that you really need, you're going to want to get them back. Um, and then coordinate that so you can eventually leave and and find yourself in a space where they cannot find you again. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a process, um, and like you said, it's not it's not simple or safe just to up and go. Yeah. Without a sense of where you're going to. Yeah. Well, because the nature of control and power that comes with domestic violence, they're not just hitting you. It, it it's so much deeper than that, mm. and and they will not just allow you to go, to go because that no. is an, a total disrespect to them. Yeah. And like you say, I mean, again, we're in funding crisis in terms of refuges. Refuge can be a barrier to anyone who's got a male son over the age of twelve. Yeah. A lot of them won't take you. Again, if you've got no recourse to public funds, so your immigration status is dodgy, you yeah. will find it very difficult to get housing or um or to find a refuge space unless a local authority are going to pay for that for you um so there are so many barriers to leaving again cultural issues if your church or your community or your family network believe that this is normal or that you're going to bring dishonor or shame onto your family by leaving Uh yeah exactly i mean there are just so many if the woman doesn't speak english how is she going to access services Mm -hmm. again going back to the thing of you know a man convincing a woman that the children will be taken gaslighting elements i'm going to show the police that you smoked a spliff or you did a line of coke or that your mental health is you know all those there are so many fucking things which is why it's so hard for people to leave and stay out of that relationship once they've left um you know um the financial thing as well that where where the person who's um doing the violence the perpetrator sorry is the breadwinner Mm. and that keeps you there and if you've left then you are, are you know you've put yourself you know you see it as you put yourself in a situation where you can't fund you know you can't you don't have any money to to fund your own life or yeah. your children and then you've got universal credit that's kind of pulling at everybody's lives uh. that need it at the moment which is one of my bugbears um just there's just barriers and we need to lift them to yeah. help people safely get out of absolutely these and sometimes the barrier is that 
the person wants to stay in the relationship. They don't want to leave. They just want the behaviour to stop. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, it's kind of naive. It's not naive. That's the wrong word. But it's, they are very unlikely to change. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think I've saw many cases of, 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 of anyone successfully changing. If somebody is really committed and willing and fully understands and hates their behaviour and is upset by it, then that there may be some hope. People are always like, I want him to do an anger management course. No, anger management is never recommended because it's the anger is not the problem. No. Because then you're not addressing all, all of the, the stuff, stuff around gender roles, misogyny, yeah. and all the stuff that causes domestic violence. Um so 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 yeah, you know, it's it's the likelihood of them changing is very slim. Again, some people are like, if only he could stop drinking or taking drugs, then the abuse would stop. It's not drink or drugs that, that causes simple. abuse. It's not. It, it, the thing is, um, you know, drink, drugs, <coughs> anything like that is just a, a gateway to what's going on beneath. And that person, even the perpetrator themselves, needs their own support and help where um, you've got to look beneath it all and see what happened in their lives leading up to these points, yeah. what's gone on for them. And but that's it's never not, an excuse because abuse. Was, I was about yeah. to go there. It's never an excuse. We just want to understand. Yeah. Again, how the hell did you get here? Yeah, exactly. Abuse is always a choice. Yeah. It is always a it choice. Is. There is no drug or alcohol or mental health. I mean, I'm obviously if you're there, completely off the wall going through a psychotic episode or, or whatever, then that's slightly different. You know, a guy just got off recently for killing three pensioners for thinking that they were in a paedophile network, mm. which was, they were just some random people on the street. You know, but we're, most of the time, we're not talking about people who are actually insane. We're talking about people making conscious decisions. Conscious decisions, you know, he can come back home as drunk as he likes. If he has hurt you or, or been cruel to you in any way, that was a choice. Yeah. That was a choice. So... We have to stop being so forgiving. That's it. Um, all right, this next question says, is it possible to raise awareness on the stigma attached to mothers losing their children due to domestic abuse from the father? People, including family members, judge the mother, but it is the father's fault. Mm. I think it's possible. It's, I mean... <sighs> Like, you know, like you said, it's it's families and people and people in these um, places that have this opinion and issue. I don't I've, I've never come across um, anyone looking at a, um, a parent that has um, lost her children to the perpetrator. Is that is that right? I think I, I think sorry. the child's gone into care. I sorry, think she's um, lost her children care. to care as a result of ongoing domestic but, abuse yeah. from the father yeah. uh, but people are judging her right. rather than judging the father for perpetrating the abuse <sighs> well it's that's complex. just simply yeah it's complex and it's it's simply unfair you know it's um the, the children have gone into um care to keep them safe and that's the truth um you but the the blame lays with the perpetrator entirely but there's also the accountability as well. It's, it's difficult. You know what? You don't deserve to have a stigma attached no. to you at all. I don't want to be judgy no. on this at all because I come from a perspective where I understand the brainwashing and grooming that mm. goes along with the violence and that, that, that you 
can be in a position where you can just not ever imagine leaving this person, mm. not because you love them so much, but because There's you. An attachment. Oh, I mean, just completely. You can't. This person has made you feel like you cannot live without them. Yeah. That your life would be you'd be dead anyway mm. if you do leave them. So what you know? What's the point? It's better for children to go than to have a dead mother. Mm. And I can completely understand where that comes from. But I think from a social work perspective, I had a few cases where where it was this exact situation. We would become aware of domestic violence. I had one case in particular where this woman, she had four kids by this guy. And every time she got pregnant, he became so violent. Violence does increase during pregnancy yeah, and during the first 12 months of um, uh, of, a, of a baby's life. And actually, if we find out about um, domestic abuse during pregnancy or the first 12 months of a child's life, it's an automatic assessment and seen as risk of significant harm because, you know, you've got a baby in a cot and someone's throwing a vase across the room. Mm -hmm. The chances of the child dying are greatly increased by by their, you know, their vulnerability like, is increased absolutely. by their age. And, yeah. and also, you know, it's um, that they could die in utero. So, yeah, so I had this woman and she kept... Um, every time she got pregnant, the violence was, I mean, serious violence, like kettle cords tied around her neck Gosh. and then her thrown in in the bath and oh just really really serious stuff and um so she'd had the the the, the fourth child and then really quickly became pregnant with the fifth and we just knew we know what this guy's pattern is we can see it we've seen it in your history every single time it's gonna happen why are you pregnant with him again yeah this you're is already on a child protection plan because of the insane things that he's done to you mm. And and we're saying to you, you have to leave this man. And I mean, as social workers, you're kind of trained to. You, you're, it's so difficult because you're trained on the one hand to be completely empathetic to to abuse and to understand it, but on the other hand, you're there for these children. Yeah. And I'm I'm not here for you. I'm I'm your child's social worker. Mm -hmm. I'm not yours. Yeah. So I have to do what I have to do to protect these babies. And if this baby safe. dies because you've decided that you can't get away from him and you're not being honest with us, like we were trained, like go into the, if, if the mum said like, you know, we're not together anymore, go into the house, look in the cupboards. Are there size 12 shoes there? You know, where's this jacket? Like there are ways of telling whether, how many toothbrushes are at the sink, you know, which feel, it always felt sneaky. It always felt like it was, you know, trying to catch someone out or whatever. Mm. But again, you always had to hold in mind, this child could die yep. if I don't get this right. So I have to get this right. Um, but yeah, so it got to the point with this woman where it was just like, she wouldn't leave him because she couldn't. And again, all the reasons that we've discussed. But there was also this sense that, we're going to have to take your children because you're not putting them first. Yeah. You're not. You're not prioritising their safety. And, I mean, she was a lovely woman and I really, I really you know, we, we had a great working relationship, but she just couldn't. We were offering her every support in the world. Yeah. And and you can't just take someone's children. It doesn't work like no, that. No, it's not that it simple. It's very, very complicated. And a social worker has no right to do it unless it's in the immediate life or death situation. And even then, a social worker can't do it without the support of the police. They have to get a, a police protection um, and then go to court for emergency protection order. It's, it's a very complex process. Mm. So, so for a child, for children to be removed from their mums because of domestic violence, it's not just an immediate act like that. There has been a lot of work going on over time to try to support you to leave. Yeah. If you continue to go back to that man, I can almost 
again, I don't want to be judgy, but I can't, you know, part of you, especially as a mother, feels like, fucking come on, like, these are your children. Yeah, you've got to keep them safe. <laughs> They're your children. You know, they, do, they can't do that for themselves. And, no. And the truth is that, it's a failing in in that in that moment yeah. you can't keep your child safe and um if you're not doing that they ultimately have to be taken you yeah. can't prove that you've not been doing it they have to go somewhere where they're safe it's so sad because i mean you know that failing is the right word it's a failing of a system yeah. that is not actually locking this man up as mm. a result of, of mm. domestic violence you know rates are so low um it's a failing of a system that means that the woman and children have to flee yeah. away from family and friends like you've got to go from london to aberdeen where you know nobody well i wouldn't want to do that yeah it's a failing so of, of a system that that is like right these you woman have to protect your children mm. um you know and you will lose them so again putting all that responsibility oh, on the victim it's awful it's crazy it's awful and it doesn't mean that the woman is a bad mother it no. means that she is an abused traumatized woman who is probably fearing for her own life exactly. so yes we shouldn't stigmatize women in that situation because there is just so many barriers to, to leaving yeah but also I do, I, I have in the past felt feelings myself of like, fucking hell, you you know, Come there comes on. a point where you've you've got to do what you've got to do. Yeah, you've got to think kids. of more than just yourself in this moment. Yeah. And I think sometimes women are thinking of their children and they are thinking, actually, you're safer in care than yeah, you are in this yeah, situation yeah. here with me. Exactly. And I think in that kind of extreme circumstance, then, then actually... I guess the mother should be applauded for, for... Yeah, that's what I mean. If you've if you've allowed them to go into safety, then you've done absolutely the right thing. There's, you know, um, you haven't... You've done the right thing and that's it, that's actually. It. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So I guess it's, I guess it's you know, I, I, I would... You know, we shouldn't judge anyone, but I no. guess there should be stigma attached to people who are choosing relationships over their relationship with their children. Mm. You know, you have a choice. Because that does happen. But yeah, exactly. Um, but again, we, we also have to acknowledge the amount of grooming and brainwashing and codependency and all of that shit that that goes along with it um right the next question says can you discuss how domestic violence in childhood can affect you in adulthood so um when growing up around domestic violence as a child, you, you know, all the development is happening in your brain at this time from seven years old, you know, well, from birth. But there's a there's a period of time that's crucial for you from, you know, from the age of seven upwards where you are, you know, forming your your thoughts and feelings on the world. And um, the behavior that's modeled to you is, is, is what you see as normal. That's what is, you know, that normalizes for you and um and so if you're seeing violence abuse dysfunction um drugs you know there's the toxic trio you know neglect um you um are going to think that's okay and that's normal and you're going to carry that through into your adult life um if you're not presented with um any healthy role models because that's the other thing um you might be someone who came from a, a, a family in the background who were also um, toxic in their own behaviours. I grew up around a lot of alcoholics and a lot of um, people who were on addiction to, you know, addicted to drugs. So you have a very slim chance of um, of doing be any better unless um, you see better at some point. But even then, there's a certain cut off point. If you that's all you've seen, that's that basically, and that's why. 
it's so important to get in there as early as possible. Early intervention is, is important because you have a chance to change how the effects of that trauma on that child if you get in there early enough. But if you don't and you end up, you know, just using myself as an example again, and you don't, you go into adult life carrying all of that with you. You don't know any better, so you do what you know. You know, you make the same mistakes, you form um, familiar um, relationships, you keep going on, you know, you repeat patterns. Um, and so that's why um, it affects your adult life and mm. ultimately everything that you, you do, um, it, it affects your perception of the world. You know, you're, you're often... Um, you're often creating patterns of protection instead of patterns of connection. And that, um, and that, that's huge. Yeah. yeah it, it's a part of everything. Yeah. I mean, not everybody who witnessed DV as a child is going to go on to have problems. No. I mean, it's that there are some people, like we say about the children who are very resilient and can, if you could bottle what those children have in them that allows them to, to just be so resilient and so so wonderful um, it's, they're not any more wonderful than other children no. but they sometimes you just meet these children who are just like wow and they just get on with it and mm. and uh, yeah it, it's an amazing quality to have but not everybody is going to have that so not everyone who grew up in domestic violence is gonna have an, an, an impact in childhood but the uh, in, adulthood, in adulthood but the likely impacts are that for a lot of women broadly speaking um will end up being re-victimized and end up choosing relationships that are very similar to what they witnessed yeah. um but can also be perpetrators yep, but true. i mean statistics show that it's more likely that the man will grow up, a boy will grow up to be a male yeah. perpetrator and a woman will grow up to be a victim yeah. if that's the the model that they saw yeah. at home and it's always uh, sorry it's also not always just ending up as a victim or a perpetrator actually even if um you appear to be unaffected it can affect just affect you in other you know there can be this one place in your life that you just have this continuous pattern you may find yourself in a you know you may become a woman or a man who um can't form an attachment with somebody yeah. very well you know you find yourself always having casual relationships or you can't allow someone to get close to you it can manifest itself in a very specific way instead of an outward you know an obviously outward way like going into a violent relationship um or having a drug addiction or a drinking addiction, it can just be. But those things, just to say, on a point with that, those yeah. things are more likely. Again, yeah, people yeah, who experience domestic violence as a child are more likely to go on and uh, not all, obviously, yeah. but to have alcohol or substance misuse problems. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, back to your point, that's yeah. true. It can be modelling those things. Like you could maybe become quite manipulative in relationships, or um, learn to protect yourself by isol isolating yourself, mm -hmm. or um, yeah, go towards people who are displaying similar behaviour to what you're used to yeah. and becoming quite codependent, needy. Yeah. Again, as you said, casual sex and high-risk sexual behaviour is quite common mm -hmm. um, in adulthood as well for, for people who, who experience it in, in childhood. Um, there are so many different... I mean, as I said before, you know, like the thing, like getting into gangs, um, homelessness yeah. is actually the, the, the likelihood of becoming homeless in adulthood is really massively increased. If you speak to a lot of rough sleepers, they will have experienced domestic violence in childhood obviously mental health mm. um there's 
likely to be to be an impact on that um more likely to go to prison yeah uh, more likely to have suicide attempts or suicidal thoughts um and also very interestingly like what you said earlier eating disorders are really common in people who experience domestic violence as children partly to do with control yeah. over your own body also it's a sort of form of self-harm mm -hmm. um and protection so you you know that was you went the kind of binge eating route didn't you exactly yeah. and that's you know exactly what you said it was the um self-harm it was the control that was why i was doing it it was mm. to fill a feel fill, you know fill fill a hole that needed um healing mm. within me um yeah it's exactly what you said it's very common after sexual abuse as well and a lot of it is to do with eating to become very unattractive so that nobody wants to yes. touch you and God, really you know these this shit fucks That's us why up it's so deep yeah it's so important you know we can't just say you know um i mean i i I should hope no one looks at a child going through that and thinks, oh, they'll <coughs> get over it. You know, we really have to take this seriously. It's affecting lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I think we've covered a lot. We've still got some questions, but I'm just going to make this one the last question okay. now because I know you need to head off as well. Um, the last question says, how can you impact, offset the impact of a narcissistic father I just want to say narcissistic is, is the wrong word. We've got, I think we, we're well overusing this mm. word, word narcissistic. It's narcissism is one thing and abuse is another thing. Yeah. And often narcissistics can be abusive, but not all abuse is Done coming from a, a place of narcissism. Yeah. They're an abuser, they are a perpetrator. So how can you offset the impact of a narcissistic father who is still allowed to have contact with the children? Offsetting, if I'm honest with you, I'd need to understand the, when you say the impact, what is that impact? Is it an impact on the child? Is it an impact on you? Because that's going to, mm. that's going to change a lot, if I'm honest with you, because um, in a lot of the situations that I work in, the children does have contact with their father. Um, and that contact may actually be healthy mm. you know which can be quite extraordinary you know looking at what they've done but then there's many situations where the, the father's got the child and they're feeding them things your mom's this your mom's that it's your mom's fault mm. and really um emotionally abusing that child and so um it's hard to obs uh, offset but if you've got proof um, and again that's hard because you weren't there you've got the but the child if that's what the child's coming back to you and saying then you have grounds to go back to your social worker um you know the the con you know the pe the people that create this contact and say um that this is happening in 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 contact and mm. this is um you know this is harming my child this is um, he's, he's, he's feeding my child negative things that aren't helpful um, and aren't, 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 are untrue. It's about communicating that. It's, it is hard to manage. I don't think it's fair to keep bringing, to, to taking that child into that situation because you are just adding more harm. Yeah. You know, where possible, we would have to look at maybe changing the, the contact. Yeah, I think it absolutely depends what the impact is. You know, if the impact on those children who are still allowed to have contact is seriously emotionally damaging or physically yeah. potentially dangerous then you absolutely have to seek professional help and you have to get co contact formalized in a court yeah. um, and the children will be assigned a guardian yes. who will speak to them and the child's wishes and feelings are paramount so if your child does not want to have contact with um with, with the with the other parent then then you can go to court and your child can assert that 
if it's a situation where it's not that fucked up mm. but you're feeling like oh I, you know i don't I, i'm getting a feeling that he's saying things and my children are coming yeah, back coming and playing up against me and not listening yes. to my rules and all of that kind of stuff um then that's incredibly difficult that is incredibly difficult but what you have to do is as you spoke about earlier just create a really safe stable nurturing environment for that child continually allow them to understand what is healthy and what's not healthy and how we talk to people and how we don't talk to people show them decent role models are your mum and dad still together is granddad an amazing man can he be around a bit more often to show them um but it's very difficult and also i also believe that age appropriately it's you know if this person is actually a narcissist it's not wrong to allow your children to understand those kind of behaviors you know i didn't clock that my dad was a narcissist until i was like well into my 20s and then a load of stuff sort of made sense to me after that of like oh that's why I am the way I am because this is how my dad treated me and my mom and I get it now but it took me a long time to get it and actually I wish that somebody had made me understand that a lot earlier happening to you obviously age appropriately but but yeah start to talk to your children about those things but never in a way of your dad's a prick (laughs) fuck your dad yeah that 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 that's the worst way to do it but to help them to understand the different personality and character traits and behaviors and what's Mm. acceptable and what's not acceptable but really just be that grounded safe parent who they can talk to exactly that it is really difficult to navigate navigate because um you know, when you do spill from a violent relationship, you, you know, often people expect that the child will never see that father again. And that's often hardly ever the case. Mm. You know, the, the, you know, there may be a situation where contact happens and the child has to see, you know, see their father every week. Um, and you have to, you know, keep your wits about you and um, ensure that re-abuse isn't, you know, abuse isn't happening to that emotional abuse isn't happening to that child in that space um and there isn't coercion going on and um the the parent isn't using that child as a tool to further abuse you so um like you said um where possible create that safety but also report things yeah communicate about it absolutely absolutely one of the things that we didn't discuss when you were talking about free your mind earlier was the online support group that you guys offer Oh, yes. So, yeah, we have an online support group that has safeguarding managers in there and DBS check therapists. And you can go in there and talk, um, you know, about your feelings, emotions, anything that's come up for you that day. Um, I'm in there, too. Is that for children? It is for children and young people. And um, it's a closed group. So not everybody can get in. You do have to answer a couple of questions. Not personal. We just kind of ask, why do you want to be here, basically? And then you can come in. it is a Facebook group, so if you do have, um, if you don't have Facebook, I don't actually think you need Facebook to get in there. Actually, you can just join this group if you've got an email address, um, and um, yeah, it's free your mind mental health um, support mental health support group. That's amazing. So young people can then speak. Can do they speak to each other in there, or they, they do. just oh, they wow. speak to each other? Um, there's people from everywhere. So this is um, the, the kind of um, temporary solution to um, whilst we're not everywhere right now. But you can still get to me. You can still get to other therapists. You can get to your peers, and we can help each other. Because I have times I go in there and go, oh, I'm having a really bad day. <laughs> 
and um you know we help each other through those days and um if you need a particular you know particular support we can talk um privately and arrange that um but we wanted to try and solve that problem where um we aren't everywhere right now yeah yeah that's brilliant i hope you are everywhere at some point thank you all right We've come to an end now. I can't, I can't hold this we any longer, to be honest with you. I'm so sorry. We've been going and going. You are truly amazing. And honestly, I'm gassed to meet you. It's and good to meet you too. I'm so... Honestly, the, the free your mind needs to be everywhere because there is a real gap in services when it comes to helping children. And, you know, there probably wouldn't even be a need for my page if... We had all healed yeah. <laughs> when we were kids, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, we, like, we, 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 all, we, we all need healing from the very beginning, especially children who have been witness to domestic violence. So it's amazing what you do. And if you guys want to donate to Free Your Mind, then Please. as you've heard, there are lots of ways to do that. And um, yeah, so thank you for coming. Thank you. You're amazing. Me. All right, bye. Bye. bye.